Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cordovalis podcast. I'm Joe, and I am joined by our marvelous muse. <laughs> Hello. And V. Hi. So this week we are going to be doing things a little bit differently. We are going to be covering an ongoing event in the Marvel Universe because none of us, aside from V, really want to touch the future state thing going on in DC mm, Comics. Nope. So instead, we are going to be talking about the King in Black event that is being spearheaded by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, basically Marvel's two golden boys right now, as they've been leading like the very successful titles of Venom, Absolute Carnage, Web of Venom. And now Thor. And now Thor. I thought you were going to say, as they call themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know Stegman that well, but Donny Cates is definitely one to definitely refer to himself as that. He has an ego the size of his popularity. <laughs> but yes, we are going to be covering the King and Black event. It is ongoing. We are about midway through the event right now. And this is something that all three of us are jumping into for the first time. I haven't been reading any Venom titles, any Spider-Man titles, actually, for the past couple months. I have no idea what was going on with any of this stuff. I barely even know who the King in Black was. I've only seen, like, images of him and seen, like, a couple YouTube thumbnails. I just knew that he had a dumb name. That's about all I knew. I'm not a Spider-Man or Venom aficionado or a symbiote aficionado. I know of the symbiotes and I know that there's more besides Venom and Carnage, but those are really the only two that we actually see continuously. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of as far as I got. Yes. What about you, V? Um, I am a Venom aficionado and I have not read all of the Venom lore. Um, I read a little of the Absolute Carnage, mm -hmm. which was also by Ryan Stegman on pencils and Donny Cates. Really gorgeous art. Mm -hmm. A lot prettier than this. Especially, like, the colors, the detail, the effort. It's just A+. plus In uh, Absolute Carnage, but... Um, I didn't make it all the way through, so I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I can comment on a few things, but... When it comes to, like, any of the Venom lore, I get really confused because there's, like, five million Venoms, mm -hmm. then there's the anti-Venom, there... I don't even remember the name of the Lady Venom. Yeah, Scream. Scream. I actually just learned that today. <laughs> so there's a lot that I've just forgotten about them, but I'm always down for a Venom story. All I know is Black Cat was Venom at some point, or Venomized. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get to see some fun uh, repercussions. Oh, man, yeah. I can't wait to get into that one. So the way that we're going to be doing it is we are going to be going through, like, the reading order of the event because it is going through a bunch of different titles, including a couple one-shots. Before any of that, who is the King in Black? King in Black is known as Null. He originally showed up in Marvel in back in 2013, but then Donny Cates revived him in his Venom run in 2018, in issue number four. Null is the god of the symbiotes. He apparently existed before even the Celestials in the Marvel Universe. I had no idea who the Celestials were. Me neither. I was looking through his origin, 
all of a sudden I just see like these three robot dudes yep. just busting planets out of their hands. So it just reminded me a lot of like World Forger, the Monitor, the Anti Monitor, and stuff from the DC universe. They kind of are DC's uh, World Forger and Anti Monitor mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, they're ancient beyond ancient. Nowhere is actually in the skull of a celestial, a dead celestial. Oh, okay. Was it the Guardians of the Galaxy, or was it the Infinity War Endgame thing where they went to nowhere? It was Guardians of the Galaxy they went, and in Infinity War they went as well. Uh, Nowhere was on fire (laughs) in Infinity War. Right, right, right. That had Peter Dinklage in it. That's the only reason I remembered it. (laughs) Yeah. Really weird. There's a lot of them (laughs) out there. But apparently Noel was around before the Celestials, and he decided that, like, space was his domain. So when all of a sudden Celestials start making all these planets and galaxies and he's not having it, so he decapitates one of them. The other two Celestials corner him, defeat him, and throw him into a place that's called the Void, which I also don't really know much about. But apparently a bunch of different Marvel gods refer to the Void. Next thing we see is that he is actually inside the head of that decapitated Celestial. And he is forging himself a blade, mainly referred as All Black within like Donny Cates and Ryan Segman's uh, Venom series. And this is also known as the first symbiote, which becomes nicknamed like the proto-symbiote, where all these other descendants come from. And the reason as to why all other descendants of the symbiote have a weakness to fire and sound, he claims it's because it was forged in the fires of the Celestial, and the sound of the hammer shaping the blade. I feel like it should make them stronger, if that's the case. I don't know. I guess maybe because they were forged, I guess what created them can also destroy them. It's like uh, a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Maybe. The the ring was forged out of this fire, and it's the only thing strong enough to, like, destroy it because it's so hot, Mm. I guess, and that's why they kind of fear it. Because I know the sound thing, I think, was more of, like, actually, it had nothing to do with, like, oh, it's the sound of the hammer shaping the proto-symbiote, but more of, like, sound waves disrupt mm-hmm. the molecules, mm-hmm. which makes a little more scientific sense. Yeah. Instead of just throwing, like, ah, uh, this is just what I feel like. That just sounds like you're making stuff up out of your ass. Like, you're just, like, seat of your pants. Uh, it's because, uh, oh, in the beginning they use noise. To make them? Now they're scared of it, oh well. I get the I fire thing like a little so bit more. So much of like making it up out of your ass, but more of like how many references can I just throw into this? <laughs> Along with the blade, he makes himself a symbiotic armor, and then he leaves the celestial head and he goes to take on all these other different types of gods. Doesn't really specify who he fights, but of course just like anything else good usually triumphs over evil he gets defeated once again this all black sword is taken from him while searching for a new weapon that he can go on fighting all these people with he discovers that by bonding himself or what he calls his living abyss which i guess is like his life essence or whatever if he bonds it with lesser creatures he could manifest and pilot them as vessels which is basically like symbiotes taking on hosts. Yeah. Can I just say that this origin story is lifted almost verbatim from Darkseid and uh, Kirby's New Gods. 
like, 100%. There's, like, old gods, and then Darkseid's just like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't like you here. I'm going to kill you all, and I'm going to become the new old god. And it just feels like, I don't know. I wish that Marvel... <laughs> <laughs> Could just be more original. It stopped copying DC, and I wish that DC would stop copying Marvel. Because you can do new stuff. You can have new origin stories without them being like, mm -hmm. and then I... <laughs> and then I forged a sword out of my dead enemy, and I killed all those old gods, and now I'm the master of evil. I'm the devil. And then they just constantly refer to him as the devil. I think even Black Cat calls him the devil. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that uh, for all of Donnie's, Ooh, look at me, I'm such a genius. It's like you really had to rip off Kirby. You could be a little more original. I don't know. Could, Sorry. Could maybe too wacky. This just isn't really great for me. It's not a great origin for me either. No, but... it's not grabbing me. Yeah, so he learns about, like, making creatures their hosts. He creates the hive mind, or what he calls, like, the god host, because he can connect to all these other different symbiotes. He does this for a while, and then one of his symbiote dragons, which has, like, the head of a dog type of thing. They look really weird. They have long tongues. <laughs> Two of them go to Earth. One of them is defeated by Thor. This is back in, like early viking days that it gets defeated and because he had such a strong bond with Null, his connection to the symbiotes gets severed so they all have to start trying to find new hosts and that's when they start taking on traits of their hosts such as honor and nobility and things that are actually good that kind of makes sense i'll give him credit on that mm -hmm. which once they return to Null. Null claims this to be their poison, or their venom, if you will. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so because they are filled with, like, honor and all these good things, they actually revolt and they imprison Null yet again. This time, they put him in the center of the home planet of the symbiotes, known as Clintar. But it's not actually a planet. It's just millions and millions of symbiotes wrapped around each other to make sure that Null is contained within the center. It's a little weird, but okay. I'm on board with that, I guess. He was just imprisoned for centuries. All of a sudden, a time-displaced Silver Surfer comes around and fought Null when Galactus freed a world from his control. Silver Surfer actually becomes infected by Null and then he is now known as, like, uh, the Black Surfer, or Silver Surfer Black, or something like that. And this is, like, going on in, like, current comics right now as well. Mm -hmm. And he has, like, a like an astral type of design to him. I was really confused by that because I saw him look like that in the beginning of Thor's run. Mm -hmm. Centuries later, one of his other dragons that was sent to Earth and was later contained by S.H.I.E.L.D. broke out, went back to Klintar, and freed his master. He just went on fighting all these other civilizations, all these other different planets, making his way to Earth. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get, like, Web of Venom, Absolute Carnage, and now this King in Black event. Well, wasn't Absolute Carnage the attempt by Carnage uh, actually risen from the dead? He was trying to free Null through the power of the Codex? Yes, because the Codex is, like, this whole astral plane type of thing mm -hmm. 
for connecting all the people that have ever been a host, which they actually go into a little bit further with the King and Black event. It's still very confusing to me because the way that they display it, it's like just rows and rows of people and creatures that have ever been a host to a symbiote. And you can like kind of access their memories. Oh, so like this is their spirit? What I understood the Codex to be was it's a little bit of the symbiote that they leave behind wrapped around the DNA of the host. Mm -hmm. So the host, uh, it's still feeding information, almost kind of how Xavier's thing is working where it's just uploading information the whole time the person's Mm -hmm. alive. So I could see like how if you die, it can bring you back because also the symbiotes can repair to a certain extent Mm -hmm. very rapidly anyone who's hurt. Or dying, they can reverse cancer, right. they can save people on the verge, and even bring people back from the dead. So I could see how the codex made up of particles from the symbiotes could, mm-hmm. in theory, work that way. It just seems a little esoteric if you haven't been along for the entire ride, so you're just picking up pieces. Yeah, and, and that's kind of like where I've been, because like, this was all brand new information for me. And I will say, like, before we dive into all of them, like, for me personally, I feel like if you don't read the tie-ins and you don't read the one-shots, you will have a much better experience with this event. Yes. I feel like the main, like, King and Black uh, series is great. With reading all the different tie-ins that I did, I read, like, 11 of these today. I literally just went through one after the other today <laughs> to get ready for this thing because there is currently 20 comics out right now that have to do with the king and black event they had a couple prelude issues including like the symbiote spider-man king and black which is like it was like three issues or something like that apparently show null was on his way yeah but anyway so first thing starting this off was king and black number one this thing was awesome this thing got me excited i did not expect a marvel comic to ever get me this excited for an event Hmm. basically dc forced you into this arc though yeah Yeah. i mean again like we're dealing with future state for a whole extra month and then come march we're dealing with some repercussions for future state Mm -hmm. and also just really bad decisions on DC's part in terms of writing teams. Yeah, Future State is not going over very well. I'm not enjoying it. It sounds like nobody else is either. No. Sales have just been really tanking. (laughs) But yeah, so King and Black, number one, there's going to be five of these. It is written by Donny Cates. The art is by Ryan Stegman. And just like V said too, Absolute Carnage had much better art compared to this one. Like, Ryan Stegman is good. He has some really good art. There's, like, just a couple things here and there. Well, one of the, my, my pet peeves with him is that his pupils on some of his characters are little dots. And the smaller they are, the more insane they look. And their eyes will point the opposite way. So, like, you don't know what they're looking at. Because <laughs> it's, like, the opposite of being cross-eyed. And you mentioned also that they had, like, yellowish tinge. Yeah, everybody has yellow eyes. That's yeah, weird. it's a little creepy. Like, what do they have, jaundice? Like, I remember late 2000s, there was a Superboy miniseries where, I forget who the artist was, but he did the exact same thing. Everybody just had these, like, super yellow eyes, and I had no idea why, because everything else looked great. Oh, so there were two different artists who did this? Yeah. Okay, then I have a theory. 
So in art school, they teach you that nobody's eyes are pure white. <laughs> so we're just going to make them pure yellow? <laughs> I always, no, you know what? I always lean towards blue, but you usually pick mm. a color that's slightly off-white, mm-hmm. and then you have the highlights shine. But a lot of this is like, there's no highlights, so it's just that color. And it could be because of the lighting. They're changing mm. the filter to look kind of that way. Maybe. I don't know. It's weird. Other than that, it is a really good story in terms of for the art. I did hear a thing that V was telling me today that Ryan Stegman gets tired halfway through a series and then he just oh, doesn't no. care as much. I don't know if he gets tired, but I have heard that that is a common complaint is that his art starts to slip in quality. It starts off strong and, and starts to sort of go downhill as the series progresses and that makes sense to me mm-hmm. especially if you lose interest halfway through yeah in terms of like donny cates like i do like his writing style for the most part i will say my main complaint with donny cates is that he does this thing where somebody's starting a sentence and then somebody else is speaking in the very next page i was thinking how funny it would be to interrupt you and you would <laughs> say that it's like everybody interrupts mm-hmm. everybody. There's more interruptions than there are dot, dot, dots, but a lot of times they're put in really weird spaces that they shouldn't be. So if you read it, how it's written aloud, it sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre. It's a good story, like narrative. Yeah. It's a good narrative. Some of the characters I don't think he got quite right. If but... that was the case, like I couldn't really tell. Okay. Because I haven't read a lot of Marvel. The only person that I could get more of an idea about in tone of voice is Spider-Man. Well, even Spider-Man's kind of a chump in this series. <laughs> He's kind of a pill. Like, he was holding his own in, in Absolute Carnage, but in this one, he's kind of a loser. He's, I don't know. Well, it, as we can clearly see, Donny Cates doesn't like Spider-Man. He likes Venom. The better Spider-Man. Yeah, he even has, like, the little kid insulting Spider-Man in Absolute Venom. Oh, yeah, I found that out, too, (laughs) that Eddie Brock has a son. Sorry, Absolute Carnage. Named Dylan, who is infected by the symbiotes in a way where, like, he's like a metahuman. Yeah. I guess because of proxy of dad? Yeah. Yeah. He got that symbiote sperm. (laughs) It's basically (laughs) like if Bruce Banner ever has a kid. It will be a Hulk baby no matter what. Oh, no, don't give them ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised they they haven't done that. Mm -hmm. Or like that one universe where Spider-Man has a kid. He has a daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, May. Instead of the other one where he gives Mary Jane cancer because it's a radioactive spider. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The worst. Yeah, so pretty much the gist of this first issue was everybody came together to fight Null and the symbiotes that just literally rain down on Earth. Like, all of a sudden, you just see all these symbiote dragons just swooping down on the city. It looked intense. Every building is getting covered in, like, symbiote goo and stuff. People are trampling all over it on the cities as they're, like, trying to run the safety. You see this shot of the New York skyline. All these dragons are swooping down. You see, like, these two shield spaceships plus the Fantastic Four and their little flying car. I was not expecting all these different Marvel heroes to get together to fight this. I thought it's like a Venom event is going to have Venom and a couple other Spider-Man characters. Yeah. 
I thought it was going to be just like a small little like self-contained mm-hmm. thing like we got with X-Men where we had X of Swords just recently and it was just X-Men titles or was it Eternal Winter with DC where it was only like a really Endless short Winter. Endless yeah. Winter where it was a couple it was mostly like Justice League related titles just mm-hmm. kind of lumping it all in it didn't really go anywhere and it stayed there but this one is just branching out into weird places I mean, you could say that he was being efficient by having them all there ready for him. It's like they threw all the lightning heroes right up in front. They got all these big hitters. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I hate being the negative one. Well, it's better because, again, like, I'm coming at this with fresh eyes. You both have more experience with Marvel than I do. Well, I don't even think it has anything to do with Marvel experience. I just, for me, it felt like a kid with a bunch of toys. And they're just like, and they come out and fight oh no he's defeated them okay now this one and they're all Aww. just like pointing each other like you're up so and so and they're like ha ha and then it's like no okay well what about this one i don't know it didn't feel like anything i could place in a realistic setting like which is fine it's total valid writing style i see where you're getting at i liked it for the reason of like because i'm so used to dc events and everybody has their own city Mm. so a marvel Mm -hmm. event happens it really kind of reminds you of like oh crap everybody is in manhattan yeah so everybody no matter what like even if it is like a tie-in or a one-shot they may not all have to be in like the big main event comic but everybody is going to be dealing like this that's not really my problem i think it was just because and maybe it is because i have seen some more events but like like if we were talking about marvel zombies that one felt almost more organic to me mm. than just, like, picking up people and chucking it at them. Like, one right <laughs> uh, after another yeah. with no pause in between. It's like, yeah, oh, a, it's fine. Oh, they killed that guy? No worries. Get the next one. Okay, never mind. Let's run. Mm. <laughs> you know? That that was all of them. That's all we got. We're done. We're I out of ideas. That. Let's go. <laughs> also, <laughs> did they know ahead of time that Noel was coming? I'm assuming yes, because they were, like, planning a strategy, and it starts off with Venom, like, going to get his son to go bring him to um, an Avengers, like, hideout. Because I know there was a couple of other lead-in prelude issues that mm-hmm. we didn't get to, and I know there was one that happened right after Empire, the Kree Scroll Alliance, and they're trying to like branch out to like the planets that might not be so receptive to things mm-hmm. and kind of like indoctrine them into like the new empire that's going on. And they get attacked by the King in Black. This has been happening out in the galaxy for a while, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as he's like trudging his way towards Earth to basically just deal with Eddie Brock's son, Dylan. That's who he's actually after. Okay. Because of his connection to the hive mind. Huh. So he sees him as, like, gifted or something He's like that. He's sort of their messiah. Yeah. Something that okay. was, like, more explained in the Absolute Carnage event when mm-hmm. that was going on. So pretty much the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the X-Men take care of, like, the first two waves of the symbiotes. Meanwhile, Eddie and Venom, they're actually going underground and connecting to this like carnage control spire that was a thing during the absolute carnage event in order to try and connect to the hive mind for some reason he thinks that he can connect to it without being consumed by the hive mind and having Mm -hmm. null find like his location and stuff Uh like that basically gives himself up to null so he can stop attacking manhattan and 
making all of these heroes a part of his army because like what V was saying they're getting heroes chucked at the symbiotes left and right nothing's working and they're slowly all getting absorbed and joining Null's army so he gives himself up Null apparently killed the other two celestials and made them a part of his army and brought them down on Manhattan oh snap and so this entire time, Captain America is keeps radioing Tony, who is inside the Avengers Tower. He's like, did you get the Thor yet? We need him. He's our big gun. Like, he's on his way. He should be leaving Asgard soon. Meanwhile, their other big gun was the Superman knockoff of Marvel Sentry, who just shows up out of the blue. Apparently, he's been gone for a while Something happened during the Absolute Carnage event where he went back into space and he hasn't been back for a while. So he comes, he literally scoops up Null, starts flying, and his only dialogue is, Hi, my name's Bob. I'm also known as The Sentry. Null tears him in half. <gasps> oh, kills shoot. Him. Literally kills him. It's such a disrespectful way to introduce a character because... I had no idea who Sentry was. <laughs> I knew of Did him. Did he exist before? Yeah, Sentry's existed for a good couple years now. Him and, like, five other characters in Marvel were literally modeled after Superman. Yeah, immediately gets split in two. Then Null has his symbiotes basically web up the entire planet. Well then. So that was the first issue. I thought that was amazing. And then the second one, I believe, that is yours, Muse. That is The Union, number one. Yeah. The Union, a brand new team. They may or may not stay after this big event thing. I doubt it's going to get its own (laughs) run. The Union is a team of superheroes out of the UK and is supposed to represent the unity between England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Uh, Immediately, I remember hearing people pretty much saying because of political things going on in the UK prior to COVID stuff, they were like, oh, this is just propaganda. I was like, okay, you guys are just overreacting. There have been British teams before. Like, we've had Mm -hmm. Excalibur with um, the X-Men. We've had bunch of other like avenger spinoffs that take place in the uk like there's there's been some british teams like this isn't the first time we've had british superheroes like we have freaking captain britain and union jack and a bunch of other heroes from the uk so there's this brand new team it's like super publicized like this is like this huge publicity stunt like there are little drones with tv uh, shooting everything (laughs) And it's funded by this na- this guy whose name is Darwin. I don't know if he's existed before, but I'm like, clearly this guy is based off of, like, the Darwin scientists. Because we're, we're British, and we have to make references to British things. So, they're on this <laughs> fort, and you see Union Jack, and he's with a bunch of soldiers, and they're apparently doing some kind of, like, capture the flag. <laughs> <laughs> Training? You mean no. just a regular day in England? <laughs> it's this As basic yellow to, flag. Like, giving people their flag, they just are <laughs> taking them now. And they're apparently supposed to be training the newbies, which are like these new people on this team that are going to be a part of this new superhero group from the UK. 
and and viewers get to name the group like it's one of those weird like give your suggestion and people will vote it's like they can't even make their own name like these this guys are like totally under the thumb a gen z thing <laughs> give it those is. brits flags they love flags <laughs> But they keep mentioning this woman named Britannia. I have never heard of this woman. And I looked her up. Her first appearance is in Union Number 1. And they're hyping it up as, like, she is the symbol of unity between, like, the UK. And she's, like, pretty much, like, this goddess in a way. Like, why are you making this character that is brand new seem like she's super important and is beloved by everyone Mm -hmm. in the UK her design's cool she's an awesome shield with a lion on it and she's got an awesome spear like she's the spirit of the country (laughs) if she lives in the lake that will make her really popular so she runs into Union Jack and stops him and they're apparently they start fighting amongst each other because he's trying to get the flag to this one island and she's in his way i am so much better than you and you've never beaten me and i'm like lady i don't know you (laughs) who are you (laughs) at least union jack's been in comics since like the 80s like yeah he's just a normal guy he's just a military guy that dons the union jack outfit so we didn't get a glimpse of our new hero <laughs> so, so is this that strong female hero that just like dumps on men and then the uh, girls are supposed to like fall at her feet? Kind of. She's so bland. I'm sorry. <laughs> Marvel, meet <She's>... a woman. <laughs> Stop it. This comic is trying to hype her up so much with words and no action. Like, I, mm. we, we get some later, but like. It's a lot of like this, just come along for a ride type of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Like, It'd been different if it was reversed. If it was Union Jack being kind of hyped up with this guy. Like, she's brand new, just like all these other characters. We get the choir. Yes, that is her hero name, is the, the choir. She the uses... Choir. She kind of does some... <laughs> I heard crier. I was like, oh! <laughs> I was thinking, like, the... What do you call it? The people the that just gave crier. out the news? Yeah. <laughs> well, she does have sonic abilities with her scream. Oh, um, there we go. She can... It's less canary cry and more ear piercing, just ouch, less Uh pushback so far. She's Welsh, which is why her name is the choir, because Welsh choir. Oh, because they're so good at singing. Yep. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is like, let's dump on the Brits. I was thinking, like, what's all their stereotypes (laughs) thing? And then Mr. T is part of the team. <laughs> oh no, he fell in the ocean. <laughs> <sighs> but then we get introduced to Kelpie. Kelpie. Who, yes, is a Scottish creature <sighs> of myth. Okay. And she is a mythical creature woman. Okay. And she controls water. Okay. And she also then attacks these soldiers because they're once again being jerks. And then we get introduced to Snakes, who's this at least seven feet tall. We don't see his face. It is hooded. His speech bubbles aren't normal speech bubbles. They're, like, diamond-shaped. It's got, like, the thought bubble bubbles that connect to it. Is he speaking telepathically to them? Oh. But we've seen telepaths speak in these little fuzzy bubble things. things, So I'm like, or is he whispering? Or is this their way of saying that he talks really deep? 
I do not know what the artistic choice is for these bubbles. <laughs> and That's I what your voice still sounds don't... like when your mouth is full of beans on toast. <laughs> <laughs> and he... so Snakes is apparently from Northern Ireland. They probably have more to do, I would say, with the magic side of things, because mm. the UK has always been very with the mysticism right, side of stuff. Right, because, like, Camelot and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you it's have... Ireland, they're going to say something like the fairies and... I mean, the yeah, ghosts. all the fairy wells and stuff around the Ring of Kerry. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I don't know. At least it wasn't a leprechaun. <laughs> I don't know why his name is Snakes, though. Like, snakes. Snakes. I don't know snakes. Yeah. Just call so, me Lucky. <laughs> they're about to have an interview introducing Britannia and her new team because they just got picked up for reasons. For fighting the soldiers. Oh, yeah. Of their they own country. They just pick them up and, like, you did it. You stood up to your man. <laughs> now you are the man. <laughs> and Union Jack looks into the sky, and here comes uh, one of those dragon creatures. Oh, the, the symbiote dragons. Britannia goes in to kill the creature and slices his head off but up she gets stabbed by its tail in her gut (laughs) falls down telling union jack in the last minute like they're your team now kind of thing like who the hell (laughs) who are you (laughs) he doesn't matter because he's just a normie he's just a normal human well she left how she came confusingly (laughs) So, the dragon symbioted itself to the soldiers. Right. That's where issue one ends. <laughs> that is hilarious and so racist. I love it. This could have been a much better introduction to these characters. I mean, if you want out-of-state representation, Alpha Flight's right there. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I think it's great to do a European team. I think mm-hmm. the intentions might have been noble but i'm after hearing yeah. it, i'm on the fence i feel like they were <laughs> rubbing their little hands to go like oh boy we get to insult the british again <laughs> <laughs> like i i do appreciate the sentiment of yeah like what he was saying like making more teams outside of manhattan outside of america because mm-hmm. you do see that with dc as well they have their whole justice league of china but they never really get much time in the spotlight after like maybe a story arc or two so is captain britain not a thing anymore he is he is sort of um his sister technically took over the mantle it's in excalibur but mm-hmm. he's actually now i think captain avalon so he's taken up a different mantle but he's still around so they couldn't like have him do a cameo or anything and i know there's a couple of ex tie-ins but i think it might be marauders don't think it's excalibur who did this story, by the way, Muse? It's written by Paul Grist, and the art, uh, the penciling art is Andrea DeVito. The art is really good. Like, I like mm-hmm. the character designs. Introducing new characters in an event like this is really good because it does loop people into, like, new things, mm-hmm. and it's creative. One of my favorite teams that came out of the War of the Realms event that was, like, two years ago was Agents of Atlas, but you had a bunch of, like, pre-existing heroes. Right. And then they introduced Luna Snow, and then there was, like, pretty much two other new, a couple other new people. That's the way to go. If 
you're going to introduce a bunch of new people, you're going to have to show them as individuals with their own motivations. You're going to have to make mm-hmm. people care about them on a like more than a surface level. So we're going to skip the next two because one of them uh, sucked. That was Venom number 31. I read the Venom one because I'm like, it's a Venom event. I'm sure there's going to be something major important. No. 22 pages, you see Eddie Brock just constantly falling. Because at the end of King and Black number one, Null strips the symbiote from Eddie and just throws him off the Empire State Building. Oh, shoot. So in Venom 31, the entire comic is Eddie just falling. But he has enough time to pray. He has enough time to talk to a helicopter pilot to tell him to get away from the building because he's going to crash. And then at the end of the comic, he's still falling. (laughs) And then after that one would technically be the one-shot tie-in for uh, King and Black Immortal Hulk. I didn't read that one. After that one, it was my favorite tie-in and V's favorite tie-in, Black Cat number one, which is finally back. It's by our guy Jed McKay. Um, (laughs) it's fine actually he's gotten a lot better yeah a lot better dude this kills me this was great you want that swashbuckling selena you go to jed mckay that's all i can say Mm -hmm. it starts out with this fake out of like did i just say selena felicia okay if i say selena from here on out i mean felicia and if you say Catwoman, you mean black cat that's true so (laughs) Felicia is explaining to us how a normal day in the life of the black cat goes. S.H.I.E.L.D. has been dismantled. They have all these caches around the city with, like, secret money stores, right? Because they do all these underhanded deals. And she's like, smart thief, would go for him right now while S.H.I.E.L.D. is out of the way. There's, like, this uh, evacuation order on New York, so all the, like, the weak people have left, you know? All the warriors, but Black Cat's staying. She's got some things to loot, but she's not looting S.H.I.E.L.D. She's waiting for other people to loot S.H.I.E.L.D., and then she's going to loot from those people, and she's going to do it in style. And her style for today is the stolen spider buggy (laughs) that, (laughs) that drives on the ceiling. So, listen, S.H.I.E.L.D. has these tunnels under New York and New Jersey. They're like fast-track tunnels that you can just travel through. It's basically the Lincoln Tunnel. So, (laughs) these petty thieves that are, like, they're all dressed in military garb. They're like, come on, let's go. They're using the tunnels for their getaway, right? So no one can track them. Well, she's on the roof of the tunnel. (laughs) Of course, her driver, I forget his name. I think his name's Bruno. Bruno's the driver. Smart guy, Mm -hmm. but they treat him as the muscle. And then there's Doc, and that's her remaining crew. And they're hoisting her by a rope so that she can come down and grab this loot from them, right? She's going to take these guys out, get the shield stuff, and book it. Well, a giant dragon falls through the tunnel, crushing (laughs) these guys and knocking her down. Mm -hmm. She blacks out. No pun intended. She wakes up, (laughs) and she looks up, and she sees the whole place is insane. The sky is dark. There are dragons everywhere in Manhattan. And she's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, guys, uh, normally, you know, when there's an event, the Avengers save us. So what's going on? So she goes out there and there's Cap, same as in the first issue. 
with symbiotes like slowly consuming him. He says, you know, oh, I'm glad you're here. We need everyone in this fight. And she's just like, oh, Captain America. <laughs> uh, I don't believe in America. It's part of my backstory, but I like Captain America. He almost makes me like this country. Yeah, I thought that was a little sweet moment, though. It was cute. She's just looking at it, like, instantly starstruck. And he's like, Spider-Man told me about you. He told you about me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically convincing her to fight the good fight, and she's down. But then everyone starts getting consumed by Venom, including Doctor Strange. She watches yeah. that happen, and she is, like, shocked. Because if you've been following the last Black Cat, she's been over at his place robbing him. She stole from him twice. She's like, oh, there he is, the magical Merlin. He's going to save us all. And then he gets, oh, no. Cap is like, oh, no, now I'm getting consumed. And she's like, let me help you. He's like, no, get out of here. He's like, you, you're a survivor. You're going to make it. Get out of here. And when you come back, don't come for me. Come for him. And he points at Doctor Strange. And she's like... Okay, bye, and she leaves. Now I'm trying to remember when the second one starts. She meets up with her crew again. Mm -hmm. They get into like this whole talk of like you know we're not these people that fight this stuff on the daily. We are thieves, and uh, as thieves, we're gonna steal something. They agree to steal Doctor Strange in the following issue. <laughs> Instead of rescuing him. They're stealing, stealing him because it makes it feel better for them. <laughs> it's familiar territory. <laughs> they so feel like they can get away yeah. with it. It was so great, though. It was such a wild ride. Just from the that third page with the spider buggy, yeah. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> she was just of like, I all know. The things. She doesn't the even say what it is. Buggy. She just like pans it. She's like, and guess what we're using? Because she's talking to the audience. She's explaining to them how to do a heist, and she's like. And it pans out to the spider buggy. She's like, hey, he's not using it. Yeah. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> it was just collecting dust. <laughs> it's fantastic. And it was also great to see because when I was reading King and Black number one with Aviv, V noticed that Black Hat was in the background of one of the panels. She's like, what is she doing there? She doesn't have any power. She shouldn't be there. I thought they called her with all the Avengers. I was like, I don't like that. And she didn't even have like a speaking role or anything. She was just there in the background. So thankfully, Black Hat number one, it shows how like she got to that point. And I'm just so happy the Black Cat series is back. Mm-hmm. And that she's being written by someone who just loves oh the hell gosh, out of yeah. her. Oh my gosh, yeah. Jen McKay does such a good job with her. She's fun, she's quirky, but she doesn't overdo it. She walks that line. She's just mm -hmm. entertaining. It's the same author the as the previous run, yes. correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They probably just renamed it because it's starting with King and Black stuff. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason. Pretty much. I think that's what they said, too. Like, it's the same exact series. It's just brand new number one, just like what Marvel likes to do a lot. It was my favorite series from 2020. But it's so weird that they would start with a number one here while, like, Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Woman just, mm -hmm. they hop they right going. in. I have to assume it's something to do with Jed McKay. Like, maybe he just didn't have time. Maybe they were just testing it out and they are like, this is a limited run. I want to say it was a timing thing because then we also read how um, a couple months back this tie-in almost got canceled. Okay. And that could have also just been due to, like, COVID uh, publication pause. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. There could have been a couple other factors. But yeah. 
that was great. And then it is immediately followed by King in Black number two. Eddie Brock stopped falling, crashed back into that carnage spire thing. Somehow alive. He fell off the top of the Empire State Building, but he's fine. He's just a little bloody. He's okay. Spider-Man finds him and freaks the fuck out. He's screaming for help. Somebody else, come and help. I need a hero. Can someone help me? (laughs) And then, who's flying overhead but Johnny Storm? So immediately, he's like, I need you to take Eddie to, like, the Fantastic Four lab to go heal him up. He's like, um, I gotta deal with all these dragons? It's like, yeah, but you know that, like, the fire doesn't really deal with them like the regular symbiotes. He's like, oh, okay, so my giant Nova Blast should give you guys a head start. First of all, I had no idea Johnny Storm could even do something like a Nova Blast type of thing. All you see is Peter webbing Eddie up in, like, a giant cocoon and swinging off... (laughs) As there is this giant sun taking the place of that little crater. He takes him to, like, this little hideout thing. He's in critical condition. Tony's like, alright guys, I got a plan. I'm gonna get one of those dragons, and I'm gonna put it into Eddie, and then he's going to go fight Null and save the day. Sounds like a very (laughs) bad idea. Peter goes into, like, this little secret hideout where Eddie brought his son Dylan to. Says, basically, just, you know, stay here until everything passes. He goes, he finds Dylan, tells him we need to leave. He brings him into the meeting area where you see Reed, Sue, Blade talking to the holograms of Magneto and Xavier. And that's when Namor walks in, who gives me <laughs> very much the vibe of Aquaman and Black Adam. Yeah. Everybody's attitude was so funny in this scene. It was so weird. First of all, Blade, <laughs> the daywalker vampire, is yelling at Magneto on a hologram. You gotta get your X-Men here. And Magneto's like, we don't have to do anything. (laughs) We sent you X-Men and you got them killed. So we don't have to do anything anymore. And and I think he was also trying to get like refugees to go to their island. And they're like, no, no, no. Not not here. We don't open our gates to anyone. Border control's real stiff. <laughs> and Namor just walks in, and like the only thing that would have been funnier is if he was just walked in like carrying a fish and just throws it down. <laughs> it's just like that's the energy he brings. <laughs> he just walks in there, just like standing there, looking all angry. Everyone just stops and stares at him, and Reed is like, Sue. <laughs> Like, it's her fault when any of her yeah, students like, show up. like, did you invite him? Can we talk in private? <laughs> and like, no, we, we can't. We're, we're not on a sitcom read. Just stow that for a minute. And then Namor is just like, we ocean dwellers, we fight in the dark. You puny humans are just yeah. getting used to the dark. You're but... just dealing with the dark. We were born in it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was sweet of him to show up to help. And then the mutants are like, mm. uh, you got our best ones killed. We sent you our omegas, and you got them obliterated. Well, they're not even like obliterated. What he should have done is been like, hey, guess what? I thought you guys like Storm. Do you want her back? And instead, they could say something like, no, we'll just grow a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, that's why they had no problem just throwing, like, their best ones in there. Well, they should throw more, I guess. And here's the other thing about these weird isolationists. Uh, they understand that they're part of the Earth. Yeah, I know. This is the Earth under attack. Mm -hmm. Do they want to, like, only have to, like, protect their borders against Venom symbiotes? It's literally like that conversation, the Gardens of the Galaxy movie between Star-Lord and Rocket. Where he's like, why do you want to save the universe? He's like, because I'm one of the assholes that live in it. I would yep. go further and say they're behaving like the weird Gundams on the... Like, Gungans? In like, Naboo? In yeah. Oh, in yeah, Gungans. <laughs> they're just like, oh, we don't care if they take over our world, because we live underwater. Yeah. Like, they can go underwater. Thankfully, Namor doesn't have that attitude. Yeah, I mean, He's like, like no. I control most of this planet, and I need to save it. And that's what Tony, like, gets into with this plan. He's like, all right, dragging into Eddie. Namor, you're going to awaken those deep-sea creatures that I know you have that you don't think I know about. And then Namor's like, I didn't want to use them because they're being imprisoned by, like, old Atlantean magic. So once this is done, it's going to be a pain in the ass to lock them up again. He's like, all right, whatever. Blade... I need you to go get your vampire buddies. And then next thing you know, you see Blade shooting up this hallway or whatever of vamps. And then he just goes head to head with Dracula to make a deal. I didn't even know Dracula was here. He's in the Ukraine. (laughs) Yeah, he's in the Ukraine. (laughs) And then he asks if anybody has any connections to Kingpin who is the newly elected mayor of New York. Yep. And then you go to the, uh, what's it, the bar with no name, mm. where it's like the villain bar pretty much, and they're all talking about, man, remember when heroes used to just fight each other? God, those were the days. And then Kingpin just shows up with like a wad of cash. He's like, who wants to make some money? <laughs> oh and God. that was it. After that one would normally be Spider-Woman number seven. I gotta tell you, I just dropped that Spider-Woman today after reading those two tie-in issues. For a while, I want to say after the third issue of it, the dialogue and the story were just getting really out of whack. It was just really uncomfortable. And it was pretty much like, oh, okay, we have an event going on. That's just gonna happen over here, and we're just gonna continue our main story. What was the main story? The main story is that Spider-Woman is dying something with whatever gave her superpowers not only affecting her in a way that like it's slowly killing her but it's also affecting her niece that she discovered that she has and could also be killing her baby son so she is trying to find a cure for it and something that she found out that could kind of help hold it back for a bit is something that she used to take years ago some other type of serum or whatever that she used to inject herself with, but it would make her super aggro, act with rage, and she would be, like, foaming at the mouth and shit. Oh, God. Does she have to keep taking it? Or is it, like, a one-off? Basically kills her faster. Mm. I don't know. It's a really weird thing. Venom sounds like it would be an out, you know? You would think. (laughs) But she keeps on taking it anyway, and apparently she's been weaned off of it once before by Carol Danvers. So anyway, like, the closest it ever got to really, like, being uh, affected by the tie-in was that she took down a dragon by herself. She just injected, like, four of those needle things into herself and then just went rage crazy 
had Luke Cage throw her up into the air to tackle the dragon and just started pummeling it with her fists because they have like those electroshocks or whatever. So it was basically her, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist going to fight a dragon, but then they all had to try and fight her to calm her down. God. And then she's fighting Carol. But yeah, she gets so out of control, they lock her up in the basement of the night nurse's office in a Hulk containment chamber. Oh my god. Don't do drugs, kids. After that one, you had Venom issue 32. You get to see that, like, subconscious that Eddie wakes up in, and he gets woken up by this guy called Rex Strickland. I have no idea who this guy is. He's some military guy that used to work with Flash Thompson when Flash Thompson had the Venom symbiote and was going by Agent Venom. They're basically walking through the codex that V was talking about earlier. And Mm. that's when Rex says, we can't affect anything on the outside world. We're just dreams, pretty much. We're just memories. The reason why I'm able to talk to you like this and we're able to walk around in real time and see the world in real time is because we're some of the lucky few that had bonded to symbiotes. Eddie goes around and tells him, he's like, you've had a symbiote for like, what, a couple years? I've basically had a symbiote bonded to me my whole life. So if anyone is going to be able to affect the real world from inside the Codex, it's going to be me. This Codex thing is sounding very similar to, like, the Avatar state, where they can, like, tap into the memories of the previous Avatars. It was just really weird. It sounded just like so much plot armor. I could not go along for the ride on that one. I was like, I'm sorry, this makes no sense. He was just like, if I can get my symbiote back, we can affect a physical plane. And then the Rex guy is like, in order to do that, you have to get your symbiote from him. And he points and all of a sudden there's Nolan just thrown toying with the symbiote. He's like, but Uh. lucky for you, we're not the only two here that had a long time being a host. And then all of a sudden, Agent Venom Flash Thompson shows up. (laughs) The army of the undead. Yeah. That's how that ended. Then you would have the Guardians of the Galaxy. You had the miniseries King in Black Return of the Valkyries. Then you had Spider-Woman number 8, which completely left the tie-in event of King in Black. (laughs) She gets rescued by the enemy of her main storyline right now and go on a search for the cure for her, her niece, and her son. Then you had the King in Black Planet of the Symbiotes, number one of three. That had two different stories in it. That one had a story about the red-orange symbiote Scream and another story about Ravencroft. Both of them are horrible. The Scream one, she just shows up and she rescues a kid. Also, fun fact about Scream, she has fire powers, or at least, like, burning heat powers. She can make herself run hot. Which, if that's a natural weakness for the symbiotes, that's kind of like how Martian Manhunter has heat vision. (laughs) (laughs) It was just really weird. And then the Ravencroft one, Noel goes to Ravencroft because he has a cult following there. And he tries to get the body of Cassidy, the guy who used to be the host for Carnage. And he basically reanimates the corpse and makes him the host for this one he calls Plague. Plague starts to fight J. Jonah Jameson's werewolf astronaut son (laughs) and Misty Knight. Yes. 
and basically one punches both of them and then leaves. It was really bad. We had vampires, we have werewolves, we have aliens. (laughs) It could have worked. (laughs) But then after that one, we had sword number two. Yep. I started reading sword recently and so far it's been like a really good series. They're in charge of intergalactic peacekeeping for Earth. It is run by Abigail Brand, her motley crew of other mutants that she's brought in to take care of things. And she notices what's going down on Earth. Against her own will, she has to bring some other mutants that she's not a big fan of, which is Manifold. I've never met him. He's a power enhancer. So he's one of those people that goes and taps you and goes, haha, now your powers are much stronger go do the thing <laughs> and Wizkid is his name he's this um technopath mutant and he's defending earth with his lasers from a lot of these dragons before they head down to earth abigail brings to the side mentalo all he can really do is read minds and she puts down her mental defenses and says read my mind and look for protocol five i have this plan i'm not gonna say it but you know what it is go do it We're all going to go to Earth. We're going to go fight. I want you to make sure that this plan goes into place just in case we don't survive this. Sword goes down to Earth and, of course, they land on Krakoa. Like most of the places that aren't covered in symbiote goop, it is freezing cold. Which is a little absurd because, yes, if the Earth is covered, the temperature is going to drop. But you're not going to immediately see snowy ice. Yeah. It's going to take a while for, like, an Ice Age to hit. But apparently we have instant Ice Age on Krakoa. You see Magneto flying around, Sunfire trying to, like, blast these things. I'm pretty certain the mutants at this point have not gotten the memo of fire doesn't work. Right. He gets kind of taken out pretty easily, and that's when we see Manifold power boost... Uh, Sunfire, and he destroys Mm. it really quickly. We then get to see what uh, Abigail Brand's uh, Protocol 5 was. Manifold at the Arbor Magna, which is where the hatchery is, where the five are. They're the five mutants that are in charge of rehatching and reforming the dead mutants. They're like, get in here. I'm going to take you to safety. After that, we took out the symbiote dragon. They think everything's good, and all of a sudden they hear that voice. And a creepy hand steps out, and out steps a symbioted cable. Oh. And his design is really cool. The X-Men got symbioted, can go through the Krakoa portals. So far, Sword's been really good. This wasn't bad. I gave it kind of about a 3 out of 5. It was pretty middling. You got some more character development, and you got some more character from mutants I've never heard of. So that was really good. So we got some spotlight on them. So that's that's where that ends. Um, interested to see what happens. Congrats, X-Men. Uh, you thought you were safe <laughs> and you didn't need to bother with New York? Well, congrats. New York's coming to you. It's just, <laughs> it's just weird. Immediately after that one, I was curious to read. This was the King and Black Gwenum versus Carnage, number one. This was done by Cenan McGuire, and the art was done by Flaviano. I never read anything with Ghost Spider before. I'm hoping you can clarify something for me, Muse. Do you know anything with Ghost Spider? A little bit. I read um, a good amount of Volume 1. Do you know anything about her costume? What specifically? how she gets changed into it. Nope. All right, this will be a fun ride for everybody then. So, 
It starts off, oh, she's God. in Empire State University. She's a college kid. She has, like, three other roommates or whatever. She's swinging around trying to get back to her roommates because the whole place is demolished because of the symbiotes. She stops to save somebody. Some of the symbiote stuff gets onto her. Her costume changes a little bit. Like, from the head down, her costume is now a little bit venomized. She has no idea. She wasn't even paying attention. She was just booking it to her apartment. She closes the windows, and she's about to go talk to her roommates, and her costume absorbs into her skin. And she's like, okay, that's better. I'm assuming this is a regular thing for her. And she's making sure everybody's all right. A dragon crashes into their apartment. She immediately changes her costume again. So I'm assuming they all know her secret identity. She tries to lure the dragon out of the apartment. But as she's doing this, the symbiotes attack her roommates. She notices all her roommates are cocooned. They're about to turn a monster. So she's like, I'm so sorry. You guys were the best. The dragon comes back. She flings the couch at him. She's like, not now. Can't you see I'm mourning? Oh, it's that kind of quirky. Yeah. Then she apparently has a teleporter necklace that would take her back to her actual Earth, Earth 65. She's about to teleport home. And then all of a sudden she gets a vision, but it's nothing that she's ever seen before. She sees her Earth. A villain called the Jackal, which apparently is one of the main villains and reasoning for her being on 616, but he imprisoned Mary Jane, and he's like, oh, I stole a couple of Gwen Stacy's spiders, and I'm curious to see how the bonding works. Gwen Stacy's costume is made out of living spiders. What? Yeah. So confusing. They are made out of living spiders, which just appear and disappear when she needs them to. And that's most likely why she didn't even notice that her costume changed after being in contact with the symbiotes. This jackal guy in the vision releases this jar of spiders onto MJ. Then the vision cuts. And next thing you know, you're seeing Mary Jane being split out of Gwen Stacy, covered in symbiote goo. And then she is falling to the ground. And so Gwen's like, this is weird, but I have to save MJ. I have no idea what she's doing here, but I have to save her. So she tries to save Mary Jane. Mary Jane wakes up. She's like, what are we doing? What am I doing here? I don't remember how I got here. And then the symbiotes possess MJ. MJ becomes Carnage. Oh my God, that's stupid. It was so dumb. And so once Mary Jane separates herself from Gwen... You cut to Null, who notices, like, a change, I guess, in the hive mind because of the symbiotes. He even says something. He's like, this one is mine, but not mine. It's something else. Something other. Something like me. Meaning, I guess he knows, like, oh, it's symbiotes, but it's not from this universe because they're both from different Earths. So, I don't know. It was weird. Uh huh. I'm not going to continue that one. But after that one, you would have the King in Black Thunderbolts miniseries. All I saw was the cover, and it was Taskmaster, Rhino, and like three other villains slash antiheroes. So it's the villain side. Pretty much. Probably being overrun by Kingpin, because Kingpin 
silhouette is in the O of the name Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we had the Union number two. Yeah. So we get more of whatever the heck is going on in the UK. We start out with some very short backstory of the choir, or as she is going by at this time, Scream. And she's wearing an anarchy shirt. Apparently she's a supervillain, or at least some kind of thief. I don't know, but the police are trying to find her. She runs into an alley, running straight into the police, and he gets knocked out. And there's Britannia, and she's like, I can help you. Please let me help you. I'm Britannia. She reaches her hand out and screams like, what are you doing, crazy woman? Get away from me. And that's all we get of her backstory as we cut to a very gruesome spread of Britannia laying on the ground, drained of life with this hole in her gut where the symbiote dragon had stabbed her with his tail. So we have our new hero team back to back, all being surrounded by symbiote things as they take them out. And Union Jack's like, be careful, they're still human underneath that. Kelpie's like, that's all right. They were never people I liked. And she just goes at him. What? He's like, try not to hurt them. And Snakes is like, snakes will be gentle. Snakes will not crush their heads beneath his feet. Uh. Like these, these guys clearly are not good people. Like, where did Britannia find these? Choir freaks out and is like, I can't do this. And she got symbioted. Union Jack goes to be like, is everything okay? And he gets knocked out by the symbioted choir. And he wakes up maybe 20 minutes. He's like, then why didn't I get taken over? Like, Sinks is like, because you're a bit useless. And apparently the symbiotes had tried to take over Kelpie and Snakes. And because of probably their weird nature, they couldn't take over them. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. They possess all kinds of of alien creatures. Creatures and metahumans. And celestials. Yeah, the celestials. Yet they can't take over two (laughs) fae-like creature demon people? Like, I'm sorry. because they're fairies. And I love how they use it as an insult of like, well, they couldn't take over us. And he's like, well, then why didn't they take me? And she's like, because you're a useless human who doesn't have power. So that's why they didn't want you. And that's what I got from her attitude. And they took just, over thousands well, of humans. So they go back to the mainland. They find that the symbiote people have taken over some carnival. Kelpie just summons all of the water and goes, Wee! and just like destroys everything. He's like, why aren't you guys working with me? We're not here for you. We were here for Britannia. She's like the only thing that matters. And she's dead. She's the lady of the lake, okay? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. The choir is threatening to destroy a child's head with her sonic booms. And surprise, two random humans, one's like Mr. Darwin and some MP guy is there. And they take the sword that Britannia was using, take wires, and they use it to electrocute them. So we get like a Wonder Woman 84 (laughs) issue where Union Jack shoves the sword into the ground, electrocuting everyone. And he's fine. So yeah, they're like, yeah, thanks for rescuing us, uh, but we're leaving you. We've never been doing this for our queen and country. We were doing this for Britannia. She was something better than you'll ever be. You call yourself Union Jack. You don't represent us. (laughs) Lady of watery tart distributing swords is no form of government. (laughs) (laughs) And so the MP comes over to poor Union Jack, who's like, well, I guess I'm going to go join the good fight. 
And the MP's like, yeah, you know, you did sign a contract. You either have your team ready for a full public presentation at the end of the month, or I will personally lock you up in the Tower of London for the rest of your miserable existence. This was always about roasting England. <laughs> this is so dumb. I know. It's so stupid, A, because it's like, most of these teams are like, oh, we have to get together for a greater good. Because it's just like, we have to get together so I don't default on my contract and I get a whimsical punishment. <laughs> They're gonna throw me in a tower, guys. I guess the queen is gonna come and punch me in the face. <laughs> what other whimsical punishments can we imagine for this man? They're just like pure fantasy. The queen's gonna go after his crown jewels if he doesn't <laughs> obey that contract. <laughs> That's what the prime minister should have said. It's like, if you don't get your ass out there, your crown jewels are mine. <laughs> what does that mean? It's in the contract. Look it up. <laughs> Is this actually supposed to be inspirational for the British people? I think it's just aggressive. It's it's like, meet the newest member, Bulldog, and he's gonna talk in this old-timey, like, <laughs> <laughs> chaps. <laughs> I was just thinking that the next spinoff is like, it's Professor Wen! Like a spinoff of Doctor Who, because <gasps> copyright. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You can join our roundtable any time. <laughs> I'm still probably going to read this. There's only, like, apparently five issues, so we'll see how this goes. Well, I'm going to move on because we need to wrap up. Yeah, that was the end of my union rant, and it's gotten bad reviews. I would I hope so. After that, you had the awesome King in Black issue three. I forgot to mention that in issue two, Tony does try to implement the dragon symbiote into Eddie. Uh -huh. The way he wrangles it up is that he created some type of nanites or whatever called extremists or something like that back when he was like superior Iron Man. Yeah, that was what was in Iron Man 3. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. he used that to take over the dragon symbiote to bring it into his armor and try to force it into Eddie. And Dylan, Eddie's son, he's like, it doesn't feel right, stop it. And Tony's like, what? And slams it <laughs> into him. It just goes out of control. Reed and Peter are, like, trying to rip it off of Eddie. Like, it's clearly killing him. We need to get it off of him. So they manage to get it off or whatever, and Eddie flatlines. That was why, um, in issue 32, Eddie's in, like, that astral thing. Forgot uh, to mention okay. that part. So, issue 3... Because the way that they get it off of him, Dylan uses his symbiote powers and atomizes it away. No one knew he could do that. They didn't even know he had carnage powers. Did his dad know? Yeah. So. Eddie knew. Okay, Eddie knew. Yeah, and he vaporizes this thing. And Reed, immediate explosion. He's like, oh my god, this kid's a savior. He's a scientific anomaly. I love this kid. Sue, we need to adopt him. <laughs> he reminds me of someone. He's like, where's our child? I wouldn't be surprised if Franklin's been symbiotic. Sue is yelling to Reed. He's like, can you please come down here and help us? We are holding out as best as we can. He's like, hold on, darling. I just had this idea. And she's like, Reed! He's like, okay. I guess I'll give the plan. It's like, so basically, 
Spider-Man and Wolverine are going to lead Dylan out into the wild, pretty much. Also protected by Blade and his army of vampires. And if they lose communications, Xavier has them all in a telepathic link. Oh, now Xavier's helping. Yeah, now he is. And he's basically going to be vaporizing all the symbiotes on the way to Null because each symbiote that dies severs Null's connection to them as well as weakens him. So they're basically going to bring him right to Null. And hopefully he'll be weak enough that everybody can fight back. Null shows up. And then who finally shows up all the way from Asgard but Thor? Null gets shot by lightning in his hand. He's like, what was that? And then Thor says something so weird. He's like... He says something like, you might as well get accustomed yeah. to it, villain. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like, like set to the scene. There's a splash page when he shows up where he is looking mm-hmm. the beefiest he's ever looked. He looks and badass. It's like an upshot and he's glowing and there's like the magic words around him. Thor. <laughs> and then there's Captain America who's just had his like symbiote blasted off of him so that Reed Richards 2.0 can talk to him. <laughs> Dylan. Dylan can like be like, I'm sorry, Mr. Captain America. I can't do any more than that. And he's just like, you did good, son. And then there's there's Thor just bulleting into the scene like, oh, it's Thor. And he's just like, it's me, everyone. What's going on? And like, it was so silly. I was like, Donnie, I know you like him, but like, why? He's just like, it's me. God. Well, I mean. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. A-God. Well, not just, like, A-God anymore. So now he do- he has his normal Thor powers, and because Odin is dead, he also possesses the Odin Force. I know, but he's so different from the first Thor that we saw in Thor number one, where he's just, like, kicking around like, you guess I have to be keen. so funny. It's like, hello, I'm Thor of Asgard. You must be Dylan. What can I do to help? Dylan's basically like, just have my back, I guess. And then the two of them are just blasting left and right all these different symbiotes. And then you see Null just getting weaker and weaker. Finally, Thor goes toe-to-toe with Null. They both have, like, monologues of, like, Do you know who I am? I'm the god of the symbiotes. I'm the lord of darkness, of the void. I'm... And then Thor's like, save those titles for somebody who cares. I mean, that's (laughs) giving him too much credit because they both kind of had a dick measuring contest for a little bit. Like, Thor says it first. He's like, I don't care about your titles. They continue to fight. And then Thor goes on to monologue about who he is. It's like, (laughs) I'm Thor of Asgard, or like, king of Asgard, and protector of Midgard. Earth is under my protection. Then fucking slams Mjolnir right across Null's face. Literally takes his jaw off. His jaw is on the ground, and his tongue is just flapping around. Ugh. Null awakens the Celestials again and stabs Thor in the back with his uh, all-black God Slayer sword. But I want to also point out that this is what happens. Celestials start destroying buildings. Thor turns his back on Null, just like straight up scoots around so that his back is facing Null and he goes, oh no guys, someone do something about that. And like they're dealing with it. Like people are dealing with stuff but then like, what did you think was going to happen there Thor? Yeah. So then we cut to Tony, who is riding into battle on the dragon. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, guys, my last plan didn't work. I got a new plan. 
How is it not bound to him? It kind of is because of his nanites. That's why he's able to oh. actually like, ride it and control it. So he's like, so, new plan. We're flying up to the Celestial. Have any of you guys ever played Rock'em Sock'em Robots? He's gonna bond with the Celestial, guys. He's gonna be a bigger robot. He's like, robot. I'm about to get my brand new armor. <laughs> and he controls the Celestial to fight Null's Celestial. And while that happens, Thor sends his ravens, which he now has control of ever since he became king of Asgard, to go find who he believes can stop this, which is the Silver Surfer. So then you just get the last page, Silver Surfer riding alongside the two ravens. Um, there was also some uh, voiceover by the Silver Surfer. I was really wondering who was talking. Because mm-hmm. he kept saying, for every darkness there's a light. He kept implying that right. there's some big bad light person who can take out the big bad dark person. But I didn't think he was referring to himself. He's a herald. Yeah. But Galactus is dead. Yeah. So who's he heralding? Mm-hmm. No one anymore. He's his own person. Alright. But yeah, but that's how it ended. Aside from the Tony thing, and, like, the ridiculous dialogue with Thor, it was pretty sweet. I really liked it. Then there was a one-shot called King and Black Black Knight. I couldn't even find it anywhere. We end all this up with another 5 out of 5 rated comic tie-in, Black Hat number 2. Yes! Uh, so once again, <laughs> Jed McKay and Sia Vila, or Villa. If you forgot, we're stealing Doctor Strange from the symbiotes. They've decided to keep him in a big ball on top of the Empire State Building, just like balanced on top of this spear, like mm-hmm. a like a seal. <laughs> what Felicia call it? It's like a horrible bowling trophy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so she's talking to Alchemax. Alchemax. He's like, "There's nothing you can do." You're a normie, I'm a normie, we just stay out of this. And she's like, to do a heist, you need intel, and we have as much intel as we're gonna get. You need manpower, and you need equipment. And she's like, so give me equipment. What have you got? And he's like, oh, well, I have this secret two prototype anti-venom suits. They're basically lobotomized, so they can't join the horde. They bond with you, and they repel venom. They don't last very long outside the suits, so you're only gonna get, like, a very finite amount of use out of them. So he gives her the two. She says, Doc, guess what? We're also going to need your buddy that you think we don't know about. And it's that ghost dog. That made an appearance when she stole from Doctor Strange, I think either the first or the second time Mm -hmm. in her last run. Oh my gosh. Immediately, Doc starts getting teased for having a man's best friend be his secret informant. He's so cute. So he's like a little ghost dog and he's like, oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> I'm part of the crew again. <laughs> she has him strapped to her chest in like a baby uh, harness. And... Ghost. <laughs> she's like, did you get it? It's one of the goblin glider. And she's like, I've always wanted to ride one of these. <laughs> oh my God. She just gets all these ridiculous vehicles right now. Just pulling stuff out of the archive here. She's like, if you're going to do a heist, you got to do it in style. So she rides that sucker all the way up above the Empire State Building, jumps off in like a swan dive, and she's using the Bloodhound uh, ghost to find Doctor Strange. So if he can find him, he's going to guide her through, because she's not going to be able to get through that thing 
on her own in the time span this costume is going to dissolve. So this is all high stakes, has to be done quick, in and out. Which looks amazing. It looks amazing. So she's... Oh, the yeah. suit? Yeah. yeah. So she swan dives in, and she's like, if I die doing this, at least I will die how I lived outrageously. outrageously. <laughs> <laughs> like, goblin glider, ghost dog. Spider buggy. Venom suit. So here she goes. She slaps that uh, quick release ball on herself, and it slimes out. She is disgusted. It's slimy, it's, and she absolutely hated the Venom suit. She hates everything mm-hmm. associated with it. She starts having this inner monologue about all the losers it latches onto. She's like, it always ends up with the scum of the earth. Gross garbage suit. But she's letting it breathe for her as she goes through the Venom. The ghost leads her right to Doctor Strange. She slaps the quick release on him and they get out of there and they're immediately falling off the Empire State Building. <laughs> But guess what they have? <laughs> they have the spider buggy. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention, they have another thing. They have this piece of magic um, equipment. They said that it helped Doctor Strange defeat, like, a real big bad before. So they're going to give it to Doctor Strange. He's going to use his magic to fight. But now Doctor Strange is unconscious. He's strapped in. They are running for their lives from an angry horde of dragons <laughs> <laughs> along the sides of skyscrapers across Manhattan. <laughs> because the other reason why they're able to leap across, because I don't know how many people really know about the spider buggy, but it was Spider-Man's vehicle. It also shoots webs. Yes. <laughs> and if you can operate it, you can swing across building to building and also drive across them like there's no gravity. Mm-hmm. So it's great, but it's a buggy. It's not a car. So it starts breaking apart. They manage to get to the ground safely, but they're out of options. They're out of tools. They all get on the ground. She's like, okay, is everyone okay? Everyone's alive? And they're like, yeah, I'm okay. He's still asleep. The dog's like, I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) And she just looks at him and goes, (laughs) (laughs) Even though they're about to die. (laughs) She just has like a good attitude about life. And I like that about her. She's like, well, we're out of options, friends. What would happen if I wielded this magic thing? And they're like, don't do it. Don't do that. You're going to die. She unwraps the thing and she holds it up and says, where's this from? And they're like, oh, Asgard. And it transforms her into an Asgardian black cat. She looks gorgeous. (gasps) It looks so lovely. This amazing, like, white and gold armor. Little cat on the belt buckle. Yeah. <laughs> Even the anti-venom suit was nice enough to oh, be yeah. a little cat logo. Oh, it looks so good. Yeah. I really love the way that looked. All those bad costume choices for all these heroes that get venomized, and she gets two costume changes in a book. Yep. It was great. So I give Sia a lot of crap, but, like, if he helped in the design of this, he gets all the points. Mm-hmm. These looked great. And uh, it was fun to boot. I love this series so much. Yeah, it's fun. It's just nice. I like comics when I read this. Mm-hmm. So overall, I feel like especially now, also after listening to Muse's reviews of Sword and Union, I still feel like if you read only the King and Black comic, I feel like you would still enjoy this event a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't waste your time with the tie-ins aside from Black Hat. 
But would you still like continue to read the event, or is this it for you guys? I'm gonna see this till the end. Well, it's not even that long. I probably won't read the rest of King and Black. I was actually really surprised to see the communication back and forth happening. Mm -hmm. Like, you can tell they're actually paying attention to the main storyline here because the secondary plot here is tied into the first so well. Yeah. She's not just doing something then it's like, oh yeah, that's happening in the distance. It's actually related to furthering the main plot. Awesome. Love it. Uh, King and Black, I will probably see it to the end. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm already more than halfway there. Like I said, sometimes it's a little silly, but I do want to know what's going on because mm-hmm. I didn't finish Absolute Carnage and I regret it now because I don't know what's happening. But like overall review of like King and Black event, what would you give it? I'd give it a four out of five. Yeah. It's not like the best thing I've ever read. It has a lot of parts that I stop and I go, really? Mm-hmm. But like overall, it's doing a much better job than like... So much better. You know what I'm going to say. Yeah, and like I said, too, like, for me to get this excited about a Marvel event, like, it's got to be good. Yeah, I can't believe we just abandoned DC. Yeah. <laughs> you guys abandoned. <laughs> I, 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 I've been chilling all... in Manhattan for over a year, you guys. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Actually, more like Krakoa, but based off of what you've talked about with just the basic kingdom block i would definitely give it a four Mm -hmm. out of five with how everything has been going but if we're including all the tie-ins i would probably be closer to a 3.5 maybe even closer to a three because those tie-ins really can just they are not good like they the only ones that is actually really good is black cat sword was good it was solid for what it was they didn't really hit anything crazy but then you have other things like Spider-Woman and the mm-hmm. Union and even Venom itself were just flops. They were utter flops. Yeah. Which is weird because they're Donny Cates. Yeah. Donny just has like a weird like back and forth style. I'm not fully set on like Donny Cates is the greatest. Oh my gosh. Because like no. I've told you guys too like when I was reading his Thor run I was on, I was confused, I fell off, I got back on even now like maybe he has like a focus thing where it's like this is my main thing right now this is where all my attention is going to i understand i'm also a part Mm -hmm. of like these two other titles i can't really give them much focus yeah i think definitely his best writing is even in the past like ignoring the venom tie-ins for this like he's been praised for writing probably one of the best venom Mm -hmm. stories he's been praised overall over the moon i haven't read any of it so i (laughs) don't know i was on board for a while because i think you read something of his and enjoyed it but it was like one comic and mm-hmm. i was like oh he's good and then i saw him on twitter <laughs> cyberbullying an artist who critiqued very lightly i think like six pages of one of his books and then he started acting like he needed people to come and defend him you couldn't get out of that gracefully you diva and now every time i see him i'm just like oh it's the diva mm-hmm yeah, I he was at Anime Week in Atlanta in 2018. I was going with a friend. He wanted to get his Venom comic signed, and we went over to Donnie Gates's booth. And whoever was in charge of his booth was like, "Yeah, Donnie's not here." And we're like, "Well, that's fine. When is he going to be back?" Like we thought maybe he's out to lunch or is he at a panel? And they're like, "Oh no, he's just not here. Uh, he comes and goes as he pleases." <laughs> and, oh. Uh, he'll be back eventually. He comes and goes as he pleases. And we eventually caught him 
he completely ignored my friend and just signed all of his comics while he's having a conversation with like some other person like the person he came walking over to the booth Uh, with what a dick yeah he was trying to like do like the normal like hey i really do like your stories blah 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 and donnie's just like yep uh uh-huh and granted yeah he did have like a bunch of comics so like he had a bunch of things to sign but i'm like dude come on when i met alex malief he looked like he couldn't be bothered to sign anything i i tried to have a conversation with him and he just looked at me and then just signed what i gave him and then just handed it back and went back to sketching like i understand some some artists and writers are they can be very awkward around people like they're not really good in crowds yeah don't go to a con where you have to be a people person people talk it's like how bob's tar every time she shows up to a con people are like Hey, did anyone see Babs Tar? And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't want to be mean to her because she seems really nice. She's always MIA and it's always something. Oh no, she is. Do you know how many times <laughs> I walk past her freaking booth at Heroes Con and like, I want her to just sign my Superboy print. Can she please just show up so she can sign the Superboy Convergence print that I, I bought? Was at three conventions she was supposed to be at. She was never there. One time it was because she was sick. And then the next one, (laughs) they were like, yeah, we don't know where she is. She just never showed up. (laughs) And then, and then I think she was on Twitter or something. And she was like, it was so great seeing everyone at this convention this day. And I was like, oh my gosh, where were you? Because we went by your booth and you weren't there. She's like, haha, called out. She's so nice, though. Like, you do talk to her, and she's a really sweet person. She's just... When you catch her. (laughs) She probably just talks and wants to, like, do other things besides sitting behind a booth for hours, which I don't blame her. I mean... It gets boring. She she wasn't set up yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, though, what happened was that her flight got delayed, or it was one of those things, but it's it was always funny, because I was like, where is she? And then I was talking to some other people, and they're like... Yeah, you have to really catch her because at the last six, co- you know, like people had like stories, like mm-hmm. a lot of stories. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's been this MIA cons. <laughs> it's kind of adorable, especially because like you know they still try to make an appearance. Like even James Tinian, he's like you know like dread cons, but I do like to go there. Oh, and he's so nice when he's there. He's mm. nice to people. That's all you have to do. I didn't know it's hard. Yeah, but like. <laughs> just look up and smile occasionally you know it's it's Say the bare hi. minimum of being a human mm-hmm. but anyway guys thank you for listening to this week's episode of Court of Alice podcast you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr and YouTube at Court of Alice please let us know which comic you would want us to cover next week especially because we just really do not have a schedule of comic reviews until March. <laughs> so we will take any recommendations. And please make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcast. And if you, in case you missed it, we did put up a bonus Wonder Woman 84 review that is in its attempt to be a little more positive critiquing of the film than our episode last week. Somehow I ended up over-promoting Martian Manhunter number 24, (laughs) Uh, but that is a great place to go if you want to see Maxwell Lord in his element. Yes, but 
Thank you guys again, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye.